the most counterintuitive thing I've learned is that when you want to go fast, you need to plan more and you need to do less. Growing fast is really hard. The way to do this is planning for the things you're going to do and planning for the things you're not going to do. Focus on growth is one of the most important things you do. For the episode today, I'm thrilled to welcome Marcus Salama, founder and CEO at Inventa, Brazil-based digital marketplace for small retailers and suppliers of Latin America that has recently raised over $80 million in venture capital from the likes of A16Z, Greylock, Founders Fund, Tiger Global, Monashis, 1VC, Maya, and the list can go on and on. Prior to founding Inventa, Marcus led the groceries business at Rappi and opened grocery operations in Brazil, Peru, Chile, Uruguay, and Ecuador. What a conversation we had with Marcus on his experience at Rappi, building multicultural organization at Inventa, and focusing on growth. Let's dive right in. Marcus, it's a pleasure to have you as my guest. Welcome to the J-Curve. Hi, Olga. Great to meet you. I would love to start with a little bit on you. So tell me, how did you make your way into the world of tech entrepreneurship? And what was specifically attracting you towards Latin America? Great question. I always dreamed to be an entrepreneur. I started my career in Malaysia, in Singapore, working as an engineer. When I was living in Asia, 2008, 2011, I saw delivery companies, I saw fintech companies, I saw so much more, you know, evolution in terms of technology than what I saw in 2012 when I was visiting Latin America. I was very lucky because I could almost see the future in terms of what should Latin America become in the next five to 10 years, because Asia Pacific in many ways is similar to the way LATAM is organized, you know, mobile first, payment adoption, not so much for credit card, but other types of payments and things like that. So you are coming from Spain. You're coming from old world, established world. Why do you think you're so incentivized to build businesses and be part of foundational team, engineering team in emerging markets versus more immersed continents like US and Europe? So even though I'm a mechanical engineer in, in Europe and I worked a little bit in Europe, early on in my career, I always thought that everything was invented there, that you have an opportunity to create a big business affecting 5% of the population, increasing their productivity by 3%. When you go to LATAM or to Asia for that fact, you can build a business that can affect 50% of the people around you and that improves their lives, time, money, 3x. When you have an opportunity to build a much larger, much more impactful business, for me, that was much more appealing. Absolutely love that. How did you end up joining Rappi? What was your motivation? How did you end up knowing the team? When I left Stanford in 2013, I decided to work in Colombia for McKinsey. As I was living in Colombia, I got to know many of the founders. Andres, at some point, I worked in McKinsey and we met before and we chatted. And eventually I met Simon. And I thought that he was an incredibly inspiring leader with an amazing vision with a big dream. So my rationale was very simple. I wanted to be an entrepreneur and what would get me closer to that dream? Joining a visionary founder with big ambition or staying one more year in McKinsey. For me, the best option was to join a startup and to the amazement of many of my family members and a lot of friends, I joined Rappi early on. I started one of the best decisions I've taken in my career. How did that experience impact the foundational story of Inventa? What were the learnings that you transferred to Inventa? My Rappi experience was fantastic. We were super lucky and we worked really, really hard. 
I was a group of passionate, obsessive individuals with a great leadership team who worked very, very hard. I learned a couple of things. One is implementation is what really counts. So getting things done, getting things done quickly makes a huge difference. Second, when you're obsessed about your customer, day in and day out, Rappi has a great feedback loop because everybody at Rappi orders Rappi. And so we, we are improving every day. And third, setting seemingly unachievable goals brings creativity, brings ownership, brings effort of teams achieving things they wouldn't thought they would be able to achieve. When you get those three together, then much of things happen. And I think a lot of the way Inventa started out is that passion, that speed, obsessiveness for the customer. I learned that rapidly. So this fast pace of execution, how do you technically implement that within the growing companies? What do you do? So the way we did this was relatively simple. It was like, what are the things we need to prove? And what are the things we don't need to prove? We can use help. For example, we launched really, really fast because we wanted to prove that there's a market. There's an opportunity to get take rate and that our customers need what we're offering. So what things we didn't have to prove? We didn't have to prove we can build technology. We could outsource that technology or use off-the-shelf tools because what we need to prove is that there's a market and the people want it. We also need to prove we need to build a team, so we build a team. But I think when you focus on speed, it's all about proving what you need to do. There's a lot of planning into speed, which is counterintuitive a little bit. When I was preparing for this interview, I looked at the performance. You guys have over 800, probably close to 1,000 suppliers as of today and 40,000 small retailers. That is a crazy growth. What do you think is the contribution of this fast execution as a system design versus the size of the opportunity towards this rate of growth? So, great question. I think our growth is based on two factors. One factor, we built an obsessive team focused on execution. And we took shortcuts to prove that the market was there. We used outsourced technology, so we were able to launch really, really fast. Now we proved the market. We're building great technology to serve them better. And the second is the problem is very large for a lot of people. And there's no obvious solution today. Working for Rappi for four years, I had the opportunity to speak to the largest and the smallest retailers all across South America. And they typically have two main pain points. One is around assortment. The other one is around working capital. What do I buy? How do I buy it? The more commodity you buy, oranges, bananas, Coca-Colas, and beer, the more efficiency is important. The more specific things you buy, the more working capital and discoverability is important. So I understood that process early on, and nobody was solving the second one. Nobody was solving for assortment. Nobody was solving for working capital. So when I tried to sell as an independent sales rep all of these products, I understood that there was no data. I understood that that data would be really valuable to improve the lives of these retailers because they would know what rates to be buying, right? There's about 5 million of these small retailers in Brazil and maybe about 15 in Latin America. So huge market, not well served, could be solved with technology. What's kind of great pre-checks for us to go out. What were the most challenging elements of managing such a high rate of growth for you as a leader and for you as a leadership team, as a founding team? I think it's easier to scale technology than people. So maintaining a scrappy culture, ownership culture, hiring doers versus stalkers has always been the part. So I think 
for us as a company, scaling the culture, definitely a big challenge. And I think monitoring us and our team and our leaders on that is one of the most important things we do as a company. How do you test people for who is a doer and who is a talker, especially given that you are a geographically distributed team by design? Great question. So two things. First of all, we hire from our network. People who've worked with before, people who we know, people that we trust, that have relevant experience. And the second thing we do a lot is we reference check. We talk a lot to people who worked before and we, we ask for a specific example of like people getting into details. I guess the third thing that is relevant is we will judge early on in the company, people who implement the And I think that's important for people to know. We will want to work with people who've proven it, want to work with people who are in our network and want to work with people who are doers because that makes a huge difference for us. And how would you describe the corporate culture of Inventa? What are the building pillars of it? Great question. I think we're obsessive. That's for sure. We care about our customers very, very much. We try to be meritocratic. So again, less talkers and more doers. I think there's a culture of respect because we have such a broad range of people across the world. Uh, we were born hybrid and multinational. So I think it's respectful. But also like, in terms of corporate culture, we've tried to bring in people who learn versus people who know, and that makes a big difference over time because knowledge is fixed, but learning can expand. I'm fascinated with your decision and desire to build a multicultural team from the get-go. For a market like Brazil, it's pretty out-of-the-box kind of thinking, and majority of people build local teams. So what do you think are the immediate benefits that multicultural team brings to your ability to innovate, scale, and build this business? I think remote and COVID, for that sake, was a blessing in disguise. We were able to start hybrid and find amazing mid-level and junior-level talents in Brazil and Latin America, but for some specific roles, we hire in the US, in Europe, that puts together knowledge and local muscle. So I think once you start doing that, the benefits are, are relatively obvious. First, there's a lot of knowledge sharing with the team as some of the leaders have done this before. And the second is because everybody's kind of remote with their circumstances, you are allowing the teams to be independent and have ownership and everybody can communicate clearly. So even though the official language of inventors Portuguese, everything is really mean. So everybody understands the language. We're able to incorporate people from the U.S., people from Europe, from all the other countries in Latin America. It also gives an access to information and best people that you can never source in the local markets. That's fascinating. You mentioned one thing that I thought was really interesting. You said that one of the contributing factors to this rapid growth of Inventa was that you were able to focus on the core and keeping the main thing the main thing and outsourcing the rest. But I want to dive deep in what does that mean in practice? As you started Inventa, what did you determine to be the main thing? And how did that change now as you scaled 18 months in? So at the beginning, what we needed to prove was three things when we started the company. One, retailers want what we offer. Second, they're willing to pay some commission. And third, we can build a team. And for those three things, we didn't need build amazing technology. We were able to leverage existing solutions to get to our retailers to show 
the brands we wanted and to provide the experience or 80% of the experience we thought was relevant. And that was all about speed to market. So at the beginning, we need to produce three things. Basically, from the seed round to our first order was three, four weeks. It took us very, very little time to get our first order on board. And that was an amazing time because after a month, we started getting feedback from, from our customers on what was working, what wasn't. Sure, we didn't have the flexibility of our own platform, but we had the speed we needed to get feedback and to iterate. Early on, we started selling and acquiring customers via paid media. We saw that was relatively inefficient and we weren't getting the best customers. Soon after, we discovered that our suppliers actually, if you think about Inventa and the marketplace that suppliers and retailers, our suppliers had those customers. And for some incentive, for some objective, we were willing to share that. So once we started understanding how we're able to get customers from our demand, then all of a sudden we proved another point. We can scale. There's a problem. We can get to those customers right really fast. Again, same technology. Again, just building a great team. So our focus on proving at each step of the way different things what gave us the speed of execution. And in terms of fundraising, in less than 18 months, you raised what, like over $80 million from some of the best investors, both in Latin America and in the world. What do you think made you so good at fundraising? I think we were lucky, first of all. We were in a good timing, building something that had a lot of appetite and we told our story. But most importantly, I think many, many of my investors, we developed a relationship much before we wanted to raise them. So they understood why I wanted to build something, they understood what I wanted to build, and then I understood how I wanted to build it. And they kind of saw the evolution of Inventa through those months. So that allowed us to focus on problems and discuss opportunities versus talk about opportunistic fundraise. So I think our success was developing relationships and choosing the investors we had relationships with, because on the long run, I think the market was very bullish last year not so bullish this year. We thought that over the long term, great companies will survive. That means working together with great investors to solve problems. So, and given the state of the market today, did you have to make any adjustments in terms of how you think about the fuel and the growth, how you think about hiring, how you think about expansion? Did you put a break on those plans or did you accelerate? I think there's an opportunity now to think about your strategy or to rethink your strategy. We're here for the long run. I think growth is not negotiable for any startup within the state. But now perhaps you have to be a bit more smart about growth. Economics are much more important. So definitely this year we're growing really well, but our focus on economics was more than it was last year. But overall, again, I think five, six X year on year growth is great for us and with great economics. So we are on a good trend and we have the capital to keep on investing on quality people, on technology, on our customers to solve problems. So definitely not slowing down. If everything goes right, what does the future look like for Inventa five to seven years from now? Great question. I think we can become the ecosystem in B2B marketplaces. We can define how retailers find products in Latam, especially in long-term categories. And we have an opportunity to empower both sides. So we're definitely seeing hundreds of thousands or millions of clients in the future that are connected thanks to Inventa, that are discovering new products, that are discovering new customers. So we believe we can become that ecosystem, which will imply credit, recommendation, software, logistics. And we believe that B2B has that opportunity in that time. 
You know, one of the most interesting things about Latin America, that wherever you look, credit and access to working capital is one of the mission critical steps to build infrastructure for any sorts of businesses, which is pretty fascinating. But I want to touch a little bit on building marketplaces in Latin America. So when you think about building a B2B marketplace solution for Brazil, and let's add more broadly, what are the unique challenges that you are facing as a company? So I think the problems in Latin America are more basic. People don't have a credit. Retailers don't have a credit card in their stores. They pass majority. There's no company that ships all around Brazil. So they have to have different shipping companies for different costs. Access to technology is different. Like these small stores don't have an ERP or a CRM. They don't manage their inventory in an efficient way. So when you think about Latam, you think about solving the basic problems first. Think about how do I get the product there? How do I get, give them credit? And those basic things that are broken allow you to build a much bigger ecosystem because you have to hire and solve more complex problems from the beginning. But after that, you also are helping your customers much more because what you're building didn't exist. And do I understand it correctly that for majority of your current customers, especially on retail side, it's not that they're switching from any other solution. It's that they're basically switching from pen and paper or best case Excel towards using Inventa? So many of our retailers are organizing their purchases in Inventa because 10, 20, 30 brands, you have to get Excels or get notes or get invoices. And the moment you have everything in one place, it's so much easier for you to operate. And if you look for something new, you're probably going to find it. Today we have 1,500 brands. We're going to keep on growing. So our customers not only find the brands they're looking for, but also have access to working capital. They wouldn't have without us and typically have a cheaper uh, logistics because we have more skill than other other suppliers would do. So again, it's a win-win for three tenants. But I'll ask a very basic question, but why is access to working capital such a big issue for SMBs in Brazil and Latin America, given the contribution of SMBs towards GDP? Yeah, so great question. Most of the small retailers don't have a credit card. So when you want to have access to working capital, there's two options. You pay up front or you ask for a loan. Interests on loans on SMBs can vary between three, five, seven percent a month. That's triple digits a year. That's really, really expensive. So if you want to discover a product you're not sure it's going to sell, either you put your little cash you have up front, and if you don't sell it, the cash is trapped in those products, or you ask for a loan. And if you ask for a loan, on a product that you're not sure is going to sell, if you have, let's say, 5% a month of interest, after two or three months of not selling, you owe 20% of that product. And you haven't sold it and you need to discount it. So it's risky. What that causes is that a lot of retailers don't really discover new products or try new products, which is not great for their business because it's about trying new products and bringing new products to our customers that would make them thrive. Yeah, I think it's especially true about SMBs. That's how you can win an audience from more established retailers that enjoy the economies of scale on the basically the same kinds of products. You mentioned that you were entertaining different customer acquisition channels and you ended up focusing on suppliers and unlocking this network effect when suppliers bring their retailers into the network. What was the incentive for suppliers and how do you fuel the incentive of suppliers to bring their retailers on the platform? Inventa is a marketplace that connects suppliers and retailers. So currently, there are existing relationships between suppliers 
and retailers. Those relationships are very valuable for us because those are customers that are loyal and are paying, but we don't feel that we should charge for those customers because they would do the business without us. So we incentivize the supplier with 0% commission on those relationships. So we tell them, look, for every existing customer you have or you bring, you will never have a commission on invent. However, if we were to bring new customers to you, we will charge a commission that varies between 10, 15% on different industries. And that's how we thought about it. We only charge for incremental and we're creating new connections that didn't exist before, thanks to the marketplace. And this way, our suppliers are willing to share their clients, who in turn help us bring new clients to other suppliers. So it's kind of a win-win effect for all of them. And that's super important for us to do well early on. Are we bringing new customers to our suppliers? Because if they bring their customers and we don't do anything in return, it's not a great win-win relationship. The win relationship is you bring your customers, I'll bring you more. And I believe that at the end of the day, making sure that we serve our suppliers well, and we see them as customers as well as our retailers is essential. So we have a team focusing on supplier experience, on supplier onboarding, making sure the suppliers are happy with the products they have. And here's the great example. Suppliers can have tools to send discounts every time, activate endorsement clients, try to price differently by region. So when we're able to give suppliers tools to sell better, they become engaged in the platform. And then your second role is making sure that you show that brand to customers that are relevant to them. So on the one side, we have suppliers bringing in great brands. And on the other side, we're showing those brands to the retailers that we believe are more relevant. So I think that's the win-win combination on both sides. Amazing. When you started, you chose to focus on certain categories like cosmetics and healthy foods. What was the rationale behind focusing on those categories and how do you think about expansion? We believe that we need to start somewhere. Cosmetics and healthy food were kind of natural. Huge markets in Brazil. Brazil is the third, fourth largest cosmetical consumer in the world. There's tens of thousands of local brands in Brazil. So that was definitely an natural category. After that, the following categories have kind of been recommended by our retailers. Retailers have indicated what type of brands are they looking for. And with that information, we've gone after our suppliers. We also believe that we want to start in two or three categories, go deep, win the category, making sure we have great supply there. And as we do that, then expand. Once we develop a framework on how to work on a category, it's relatively easy to transpose that framework to the following category, the team, the tools, and making sure we go deep on each category we open up. So what are the categories that you are planning to enter in Brazil? And as you will also have the plans to expand in additional geographical markets like Colombia and Mexico. For now, we're focusing on cosmetics, home decor, healthy food. I think there's an opportunity in jewelry, there's an opportunity in accessories, there's an opportunity in paper and gifts. That's another three, four categories. And I think it's going to be relatively similar, both in Mexico and Colombia. Probably going to go putting Mexico in the next 12 to 18 months, and same as Colombia. And what is the logic about scaling outside of Brazil, given that Brazil is such an enormous market and you're just scratching the surface with the current offering? Great, great question. So I think that the problems are very similar across geography. I do think, however, because of frontier and taxes and distances, it's not going to be very efficient to ship from Mexico to Brazil. So I do believe that we can become the ecosystem within each country. Some brands will buy cross-border, 
but not the majority. I think it's a local solution for local brands, but the learnings and the methodology and the technology are going to be hundred percent applicable. So I think once we crack the segment in a country, we believe that the dynamics of that segment is relatively similar all across Latin America. This is why we want to be ambitious and expand to other countries, because we think that there is an opportunity that nobody is doing very well in other segments, crack this solution for Mexico, for Colombia, for Brazil and other countries. And that can be done with an expansion team and having centralized technology teams in Brazil. Now in a time where investors are a bit more shy or money is harder to come by, I think we see this in a opportunity to put our mark and perhaps expand faster. How did the product market fit look like for Inventa in Brazil? What were the metrics that you were tracking? So I think the first metric was growth. Are we growing? Are we getting more customers? And early on, the company was growing really, really fast, almost doubling month on March in the first five or six months. But after that, you start to see second order money to effect, which is basically, are they buying more brands? Are they buying the same brand again? And our North Star metric as a company is to share a wallet. But it's really hard to measure. So the way we think about this is retention, number of brands you buy, frequency. Are we becoming part of the purchase process of those small retailers? So that's how we knew we had product market fit. And lastly, to close up on that, I think product market fit is built into the product. I think there's early adopters which showed us the way. And I believe that after that, we need to keep on improving our product to make sure that we are actually taking care of a large part of the retailers in that segment that we keep on improving as we go. What is the most counterintuitive thing you've learned while doing business in Latin America? Yeah, I think the most counterintuitive thing I've learned is that when you want to go fast, you need to plan more and you need to do less. Growing fast is really hard. The way to do this is planning for the things you're going to do and planning for the things you're not going to do. Focus on growth is one of the most important things you did. And this is why we just did a couple of things and we did them well and we didn't do all the others which allowed us to focus on what matters. So a lot of planning on things we're not going to do was what allowed us to go very fast. And what are the things that you are not going to do in the next 12 months as a CEO of the company? So there's a lot of products we could be doing. We could do working capital solutions for the supplier. We could develop an ERP for retailers. We could build a lot of solutions to enhance the value prop of the marketplace. We're not going to do it. We're going to focus on the core value prop, we're going to focus on serving well the suppliers, serving well the retailers on the existing business model. We got to do less things and we'll be done better. Once we have a more scale, then we can, of course, start doing different things. But, but I think management time is probably our most scarce resource. And my function as a leader, as a CEO, is to make sure we're focusing it on what really matters. I'd love to move to the rapid fire section. I'll ask you five short questions and I'll appreciate your immediate responses. Let's dive right in. The first question is, what's one book or piece of content every founder should read and why? Uh, working Backwards, an amazing book that allowed us to understand the power of planning, the power of writing things on paper. I would have every founder read this. It's mandatory read for you get to England. Very, very recommended. All right, I haven't read that. I will. What's the next billion dollar business in Brazil nobody is building? It's a great question. I think it's a lot around payments and payment infrastructure with Pix being how it is. So I think there's going to be great companies coming out of that. What's your favorite interview question for a C-level exec hire? That's a question I always ask. Is what does great look like in your job? 
And what was the most fascinating answer to this question that you got from one of your hires? You know, I got answers saying that in this kind of role, there's nothing about greatness. It's nothing about experience, more about mentality, which is very, very surprised. And I think a big part of great C-level of the execs is about their mentality and their willingness to learn, even though they have experience. So having a growth mentality versus fixed mentality, probably one of the biggest things I learned from that discussion. What are you better at than most anyone else? What's your superpower? I think I'm good at telling stories. And I think I'm good at convincing people on why we should do things we do. So I definitely see it as an advantage and I enjoyed it and something I've practiced and I cherished over time. If you were to give a public talk, but could not talk about tech, venture capital, marketplaces, anything related to business, what would you talk about? That's a great question. I'd probably talk about the power of sleep. Counterintuitive, but better sleep is making you better every day. So I've read a couple of books that really impressed me, Why We Sleep and a couple of others. And I think if you were to just do one thing to change your day to day, probably be to sleep better, which have a huge impact on the rest of your lives. So yeah, I would probably talk about that. This is completely counterintuitive. How many hours do you sleep a day? I try to sleep well. I try to sleep seven, eight hours when I can, of course. That doesn't mean there's no exceptions, but I mean that I actively plan for it. And I think it's a big part of my routine is making sure I respect my sleep time. Marcus, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciated the conversation. Awesome, Olga. Great chatting. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The J-Curve. It was such a pleasure to have Marcus as my guest. To learn more about Inventa, go to inventa.shop. And to hear more from us, visit our website at thejcurve.com, subscribe to our channels on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or follow me on Instagram at Olga with KH. Thank you for being with me today.